Welcome to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Today, I want to talk about farm workers and a lot of the stress that they've been facing this year. Uh, in addition to often unfair practices and harassment on the job, they're also facing COVID-19, obviously. And now the wildfires in the West. You'll hear from experts like Baltimore Velasquez of the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, Teresa Romero of the United Farm Workers, and Sonia Singh and Susanna Deli from the Food Chain Workers Alliance. There's no question that food and farm workers have been invisible to many eaters, at least until this year when they were deemed essential. We've been talking about it for months, like, you know, how invisible these folks were until they, you know, while the rest of us could could be at home uh, working from home, they had to be either, you know, in the fields, at grocery stores, or um, uh, on meat processing lines. Um, There are so many photos in in the news and memories that have stuck in my brain from 2020. Um, I can't believe it's only September. Um, From Australia being on fire in January and and folks wearing masks when I left um, South Korea uh, from a conference in, in February. But one of the most startling images that's sticking in my mind right now, and I guess it's because it's so recent, is images of farm workers in California picking produce with fires just sort of raging in the background, you know, on, on sort of the next mountain or next hill away from them. And, and there are similar photos from Washington State and, and Oregon. And it's, you know, again, so striking to me that these folks are, are working in, in these conditions where they're breathing in smoke, and yet they, they have to get the harvest in. Um, and it's not only the fires that are scary for farm workers, but Again, that smoke and air pollution that make um, a job that is already really, really difficult and backbreaking for sure, uh, even more so. An article in the Oregonian says that farm workers face an awful choice. They can go to work in hazardous conditions or they can stay home and lose pay. But according to the article, for most farm workers, that isn't much of a choice. And I think we could all agree because they these are folks who can't afford to lose even one day's worth of pay, even uh, if conditions reach very unhealthy on the air quality index, which is the index used to measure, um, you know, how dangerous uh, air quality is in the United States. Jamie Goldberg, uh, the author of the article in The Oregonian, interviewed a farm worker who had recently recovered from COVID-19. So imagine she's literally going from one health crisis right into another. And, and, you know, she's someone who's now highly susceptible to getting sick again, you know, not from COVID necessarily, but from respiratory illnesses and, and things that can happen because of all that smoke. Unlike California, Oregon doesn't require employers to halt their operations when the air quality index reaches an unhealthy level of 151. And employers are not required to equip farm workers or factory workers with uh, N95 masks or other protective equipment. And, and while many farmers and companies in the Western United States may doing the, you know, be, may be doing their best on their own uh, to protect workers or with the help of farm unions, farmer workers unions and nonprofits, the fires are coming at the worst time when so many millions and millions of dollars in crops need to be harvested. NPR also reported that even though California has regulations protecting farm workers from bad air quality, 
the enforcement, of course, of those regulations is is very, very problematic. It's hard to get companies to comply. And, and it's, you know, uh, farm workers aren't always aware that those regulations and are, are in place. According to the United Farm Workers, for many workers, it's, it's difficult to think about their own health because they're behind on bills or they're just trying to pay rent. Um, these folks are in an impossible situation because there is no paid sick leave. They can't work from home like I get to do right now. And, and because this is the busiest time of year for many companies, uh, food companies, there might not be work to find uh, later on if they stop working in fields uh, to protect their own health. So they're, they're really in a, a, in a no-win situation here. It, it was hard for me to find how many farm workers across the U.S. have contracted COVID-19 or, uh, or died from the virus. So if, you, if any of you who are listening have stats on this, please let me know. But the National Center for Farmworker Health says that the approximate number of positive COVID-19 uh, 19 cases among agricultural workers and family members reported by the media to date is more than 4,500. And I'm sure it's much higher than that. So again, if, if any of you have statistics that are better than that, I'd, I'd, I'd um, love to hear from you. Uh, because these workers are often housed in crowded conditions or work very closely together in fields or on farms, it's kind of the ideal scenario, right, for uh, the virus to spread and then many don't have access to healthcare or fear going to seek medical help because of their uncertain immigration status or, again, fear of losing their jobs. Teresa Romero of the United Farm Workers emphasized um, in episode 189 of Food Talk about the lack of productions farm workers have despite being labeled a a as essential. And she has a lot to say. Please take a listen. It is ironic that. Um after so many years, now farm workers are considered essential. But unfortunately, um, they're not treated as such. Right. So we need to, yes, bring awareness, but not just to, to consumer, to restaurants, to, to, to elected officials. Um, you know, we have an administration that has demonized immigrants. Right. Um, but we, we need to understand that in the field, Probably 95% of, of the farm workers are immigrants. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that, that UFW is currently uh, pushing for support of the HEROES Act. And I, I'm wondering if you can talk about what kinds of, of specific support that farm workers need right now. Farm workers, what we have found, uh, found is that outside of the collective bargaining agreements that we have, farm workers have not informed, at least here in California, of the rights. We were able to work with uh, Governor Newsom and include farm workers in paid sick leave. Just think about it. It, it doesn't make sense, even to protect all of us. If okay. we have a farm worker that tests positive or has the symptoms, but at the same time has a family to support, for the most part, is not going to isolate himself. He's not, right. not going to work. They live day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck. So if we have a person that is infected in the field, you know, it is not fair for him, for him or her, and it's going to affect all of us. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we have um, paid sick leave for farm workers throughout the country. Absolutely. We cannot include, include some people and exclude others. Even here in California, where they're included, they're not informed. 
we have to really, we have made a lot of efforts to inform workers, not under contract, of what the rights are. And in many cases, when they uh, when they are positive for, for COVID, they are fired. So it, it is just, it is just a vicious cycle. Um, they have uh, protection equipment. We have been providing uh, masks. Uh, uh, as many as we can. One of our sister organizations, the UW Foundation, has been able to secure 800,000 masks wow. that we're going to be distributing to farm workers throughout uh, California and Washington State. But we need to do more. We, the, uh, these are the people that feed us. Absolutely. And can we talk about the reasons that they're not informed of their rights? Why do the companies and the contracts keep this from them? And is it because of language barriers? Because a lot of these folks, as you mentioned before, are immigrants from other countries. Yes, but they are able to inform them. They have people in management that that, that have uh, Spanish-speaking people. Sure. I, that, is, that would be an excuse. I think what they don't want to do is uh, pay people the uh, uh, sick leave, you know, two weeks of sick leave, um, which is... To me, is it's it's I cannot even comprehend it. We have people that are experienced. You know, farm workers, many people consider them uh, labor, labor work, manual work. Anybody can do it. That is absolutely not true. Farm workers are professional. They work from crop to crop, and they understand what needs to be done, when needs to be done, and how. So to me, having that experienced labor force and not wanting to take care of it just because they want to save money, they don't want to pay the workers, it's just, it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. And Suzanne Adeli and Sonia Singh of the Food Chain Workers Alliance talk on episode 200 about what is essentially the exploitative nature of the food system in the United States and, and also around the world. They have some great points about power structures in agriculture that are a must-listen to. Suzanne, I, I don't know if you can talk about this issue of power. Why have, you know, uh, food and farm workers not had the power that they deserve to have when they're, you know, making negotiations with companies or they're trying to to fight for better workplace conditions? Well, I think that there are, like, uh, multiple answers to that question, but I, I think that um, kind of a common um, kind of... Uh, viewpoint that, uh, you know, us and our, our members and our allies have is that, um, you know, we start at the point of um, pointing out that the, the food system in itself is highly exploitative. And um, in that means that um, it is a food system that, um, you know, that is driven by profit um, by driven that pro- profit that is um, um, that uh, is ex- exasperated by like continuing sort of like corporate um, consolidation, mm-hmm. um, which leads to, uh, as I think um, all of us would agree, not just exploitation of labor, but exploitation of land and 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 um, and you know our sort of general ecosystem. Um, and so, you know, it starts very in many ways there, but it also sort of um, includes uh, many kind of I think institutions uh, 
that are structurally um, discriminatory or racist, or, um, uh, for example, are uh, very sort of um, exploitative and abusive immigration system, um, or just sort of uh, kind of a, a history of um, not just in the food economy, but in, in, in the history of sort of state corporate sort of collusion in some sure. was to uh, repress the rights of workers and particularly workers of color to be able to assert their rights in uh, different industries in the food economy. And, and I think that we're seeing in this particular era, uh, a, a lot of what those structures are being exposed when in right. hadn't been in um, prior to the COVID pandemic. Yeah, so many cracks have been laid bare. And I think that's, I mean, it's a terrible tragedy. There's no uh, denying that. But a lot of this is coming to light now because of COVID-19 that, it, you know, maybe it wouldn't for a lot of eaters or, or consumers. And Baltimore Velasquez of the Farm Labor Organizing Committee emphasizes in episode 171 about the links between racism, climate change, and the plight of farm workers. Can you talk about why political leaders and and our you know our, our officials, our elected officials, aren't more uh, uh, cognizant of of why it's important to protect farm workers? Farm workers don't have political leverage uh, because we migrate, because we're not uh, permanent in one location, and therefore we're not part of the electoral system. So we have very little leverage other than the moral outrage that uh, can be. Uh, uh, provoked uh, through the stories and the, the tragedies that we have to suffer. Uh, so uh, unless you're in California, where you have a large Latino population that can influence these issues more than other states, uh, like here in Ohio, that the probably the Latino population is not more than 4%. Um, so that becomes like a a very difficult uh, issue, but the one thing that uh, people who are active politically can do uh, is push for freedom of association. Mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, guiding principles in the UN's uh, ILO's um, uh, uh, concept of freedom of association. It's a right to unionize, a right to form unions and bargain collectively, because if we had that right, we could advocate for ourselves. We would need someone out there uh, begging mm -hmm. for someone to give us permission to do something that, it, which is something that we could achieve on our own. So uh, we tell people, uh, what what can you do to help farm workers uh, achieve uh, freedom of association and guarantee that right without fear of retaliation? Which is a basic human right for everyone. I mean, I, I think that we need to make that clear that the freedom of association and to unionize and to, you know, uh, have collective action are, are things that every human being should be able to do. I think every human being does do it. Uh, they don't call them unions. Right. They, they call them trade associations. They call them churches. You know, they call it uh, the Farm Bureau. They call it the mm -hmm. uh, Kiwanis Club, uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, everybody pays uh, to be part of something uh, for their collective good. 
Uh, and so yeah, everybody's got unions except us farm workers. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a travesty. And, and I mean, I think you brought up, you know, this point that again, that, that farm workers are invisible, that you migrate. I mean, this sort of leads to the obvious question about the immigration debate that's going on in, in the United States. Can you speak a little to that and, you know, sort of the current political situation and how that affects your work? Well, um, Yes, um, there has to be, let's say that whatever is proposed, here, here's some fundamental things that need to be addressed and looked at. Number one, migrant workers migrating for jobs is part of the labor market. And they need to treat the labor market the way they propose dealing with any other commodity in the markets. Uh, they call it free trade. Um uh, and uh, free enterprise, free this, free that, except free labor. Mm. Uh, the right, the, the freedom to travel with rights, with human rights, with labor rights. Uh, they need to make possible uh, what they make possible with commodities, goods, and money. Uh, the ability to cross borders by countries that have trade agreements and allow the market to saturate itself. You know, the whole issue of supply and demand. Uh, they need to treat the labor market the very same way. Uh, if you let the market saturate itself and give workers the ability, the right to negotiate uh, their own uh, uh, work uh, and living standards with their employers, uh, they will take care of themselves. But as long as workers don't have their freedom of association, as long as farm workers are captive workers, like these proposed guest worker programs, mm -hmm. And don't give workers those labor rights. It's going to be more difficult to get justice and, and uh, some kind of equity in these uh, global supply chains because the corporation knows knows how to use this. In addition, Baltimore uh, spoke a few years ago in 2018 uh, at one of our food tank summit, and he really brings home the point of the need for farm workers to organize, to take collective action so that they can gain power and really negotiate with big food corporations. So please hear what he has to say. One of the things that so many food organizations, food and agriculture organizations like Food Tank works on is, you know, obviously COVID is is sort of taking up all, all of uh, the oxygen um, among groups right now. But, you know, there are still issues that we've been working on for a long time and and trying to figure out. And and one of them is climate change. And and I know because of of the changes that we've seen in, in weather patterns, that that, has, that also takes a real toll, not just on farmers, but farm workers. Have, have you encountered that kind of, you know, farm workers telling you that, you know, uh, the, the, you know how, how they're affected by climate change and, and some of the changes they've seen? That hasn't, you know, we've sort of discussed it around the edges of other issues. Uh, and how we're being impacted, uh, particularly uh, the workers that are coming from Central America that work in the sure. rural areas uh, where our members work. Um, a lot of their uh, farms that they uh, fleed from in, in uh, Guatemala, for instance, especially in the mountains where the climate has changed to the point they can't grow their crops anymore. Wow. Uh, that's the, the climate has changed and shifts so much that they're not the regular uh, planting and harvesting patterns that they were used to in the past. We've heard uh, some of those stories. But I, I tell you that uh, all these debates, whether it's climate change, uh, whether it's farm worker poverty, um, whether it's um, 
this pandemic and who's suffering the most is blacks and Latinos and poor Absolutely. people. Um, because it all has to do with the global um, economic systems that we're a part of. And, um, and it's driven by these um, um, inequitable uh, trade agreements that we negotiate all the time. Uh, those are investors. These are, those aren't worker people's agreements. Those are investors agreement. And uh, if, if, if the economy is driven uh, by investors uh, with no uh, uh, safety nets uh, in the, any kind of the negotiations, we're all going to suffer. And a lot of it is based on this issue of racism that we're dealing with today. Absolutely. Uh, and this all, this, uh, the, all the inequity that's going on, this is a global uh, uh, issue. It is not just a national issue for us uh, because a lot of the employers that we work for are global corporations mm-hmm. that control. Uh, even the smaller companies that work in America supply larger corporations. So uh, we've learned and realized that very quickly on when we started our first campaign with Campbell Soup. That's why we pioneered these, um, you call them three, uh, three-way three agreements. So we call them supply chain agreements uh, that we know mm-hmm. are the, the, the corporate top that drives agriculture. Uh, and the small, and, and this is a, another narrative we have to change in, the, in America. Uh, the, the issue of the small family farmer, and especially if we grow labor intensive crops that hire our people, that we have to uh, really change that narrative because a lot of those farms are suppliers uh, to major corporations, and they're as much victimized by that supply chain inequity as we are. As a matter Absolutely. of fact, that's what drives a lot of growers to cut corners and marginalize farm workers because that's the only way they can uh, create the cushion to survive, uh, to have a if if not a if if not a profit margin, uh, certainly something to keep his farm viable. So we have to change that narrative. This, we we need a we need a, a a campaign of small family farmers and farm workers together fighting the big corporate retailers and, and uh, manufacturers that oppress us all, not only here in the United States, but globally. Absolutely. I love that. That's such a great call to action. And and you're right. I think, you know, farmers and, and farm workers have a sort of uh, been at odds at times because you farmers, you know, they're both trying to just survive. But I, I think you're right that working together and having that that collective action moving forward is 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 you know it's revolutionary. It's not just changing the narrative. It will it will be a, sort of a revolution in how food is is produced, not just in this country, but but all over the world. What it comes down to is if they were going to call farm workers essential then they need to be treated with respect and be protected by laws and regulations that can be enforced. Uh, Senator and vice presidential uh, candidate Kamala Harris has authored a bill providing overtime pay after eight hours a day for agricultural workers. But obviously, they need much more. They need uh, better pay. They need better housing. They need, uh, again, better respect and to be honored for the work that they're doing that really uh, helps us all. And more than, you know, just calling on legislators to the left, uh, you know, to take action, these should be really bipartisan issues. They get both sides of the aisle to come together to protect those folks that feed us. And to get that bipartisan support, we all as eaters need to get louder and we need to get busier, especially over the next month and a half before the election. 
and food advocate Marian Nessel's new book, which you can hear her talk about on episode 202 of Food Talk. She calls for, quote, advocacy for strong democratic government and institutions, among them food systems that benefit all members of society, regardless of income, class, citizenship, race, ethnicity, gender, or age. She hopes that food advocates will come together in a more cohesive way to push for change, and she urges young folks who are interested in food systems to volunteer, to donate if they can, and of course, maybe most importantly, vote with both their forks and their votes for a better food system. Vote, vote, vote. Um, If you're interested in learning more about how to advocate for farm workers, please visit the United Farm Workers website. That's ufw.org. Uh, the Farm Labor Organizing Committee uh, website, that's flock, F-L-O-C dot com. And the, for the Food Chain Workers Alliance, you can go to foodchainworkers.org. And I hope folks will tune into some of the upcoming events that Food Tank is involved in over the next uh, week. Uh, next week, we'll be moderating a panel at the Disaster Preparedness Festival, uh, food security and COVID-19 community feeding efforts that um, is taking place virtually um, uh, in D.C., a panel on food systems and food security at the 2020 uh, Concordia Annual Summit. Uh, That usually takes place in New York City, but again, is virtual. And again, I'll be a speaker at the Food Forever Experience from seed bank to farm to table, which is organized by the Crop Trust. You can get more information about all of these events at foodtank.com slash events. Thanks to everyone who's joining me today. Uh, Again, please go to foodtank.com if you need more information. And if you have a question you want me to ask on the show, shoot me an audio file to danielle at foodtank.com. Please stay well, stay safe, and, and thanks again for listening. This is Rob Perra, Food Talk's executive producer. Let Danny and I know what you think of the new podcast format. Send us an email at danielle at foodtank.com. Please feel free to suggest future guests and anything you think we can improve. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next time.